When was the last time you heard good news? You know, 2020 has been quite a year. The pandemic has brought suffering all over the world that um, people have, ex have experienced loss. They've struggled economically. There has been some good news. A vaccine has come along and it looks like a second is on its way. I'm hoping that today is a good news day, that we hear good news as we spend time together. In order to get at it, let's go ahead and take a look at our passage. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Let's receive the word of God. And in, this, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. As we say, may God bless the reading of his word and may God bless our conversation together too. All right, today I would like us to talk about today. Today I'd like us to talk about today, about this word today. Uh, James Edwards in his commentary on Luke uh, points out this interesting thing in the Gospel of Luke. There is this use of the word today in some significant points in the storyline that brings the word forward with a real theological weight to it. You know, we might just approach the text like it's some kind of old-timey word, like, like people in bygone ages go, today, and then we, they make some kind of dramatic announcement. Edwards, though, indicates by connecting these different places in the Scripture to show us that there's more going on here. And so we're going to take a look at a story that occurred in Bethlehem. That's the story we just read. We'll take a look at a story that occurs in Nazareth, one that occurs in Jericho, and then finally one that takes place on Golgotha. Let's start in Bethlehem with the passage we just read. Now, it should stand out to us that uh, angels are meeting with shepherds. That seems a little bit of a stretch. Now, granted, in the Old Testament, God is seen as the shepherd of God's people, and, and there's a, a high calling, of course, there. But in terms of just the population, in terms of just the culture, shepherds were lower on the social pole. You see, they spent a lot of time away from everybody else. And because they were away from everybody else, they developed their own, well, let's just say, a sense of what is polite and not polite. 
They were also known to have sticky fingers. But here, in God's story, in God's working out his story in this world, he has an angel show up to some shepherds. And the angel says to them in verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. In fact, the whole thing of I bring you good news, that's just one word uh, that the angel speaks. I bring you good news of great joy. You know, we may have experiences where we have somebody bringing us news of joy, news that, that creates, this good news that creates joy in us. And depending on our life stage, Maybe if we're younger, we might find that when a teacher uh, or uh, a professor brings to us a grade that we had on a paper or on a test, and it's um, at or above what we anticipated, we can receive that. We can receive that as good news, something that creates joy in us, not just being happy, but something more than that. It opens up an opportunity. It takes a weight off of our shoulders. Maybe it's um, that experience of if we've ever purchased something large and we had to make an offering, uh, 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 we offered a certain amount, maybe like in buying a house, and, and to hear that our offer was accepted, not just being happy, but it, by, by it being accepted, it opens up the potential for a different kind of life, a different kind of experience. Maybe it's, it's that phone call that we get from our doctor who says, that the scan shows that the chemotherapy is working and that the tumor has shrunk. That's that good news that leads to great joy. Well, whatever it is, we find that joy in being different than happiness. In fact, I've, I've read that others have commented on this, that, that joy is more of a quality than it is an emotion. Uh, and, and the way I picture it in my mind, that we know that, that a plant, if a plant gets the right kind of sunshine and the right amount of moisture, that there's a vibrancy to the plant. It's got the quality of that vibrancy. And, and so when conditions are right, there can be this joy that just, that just fills us, that, that sets us apart differently. If it's a plant that, that you can tell the color's right and the leaves are the right texture and, and that it, it's healthy and it can even sustain times of suffering and, and drought and, and harshness. And, um, well, this quality of joy coming to us. Now, we learn in Scripture that, that God provides joy, that, that one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, and yet joy is something that um, we also uh, can exhibit outwardly that we can rejoice in things. So we take a look then at what the angels were stating as the cause for this joy, the substance of the great news. And so the angel says, Today, today, unto us in the city of David. Do you get the sense of how much that anchors us in time and in space. That this isn't just something that God had said long ago that the angel wants to remember, uh, remind them of. This isn't just something that's going to take place in the future that, that holds potential. The angel, the angel acknowledges it's today. Today, in the city of David. And the angel says, a Savior is born to you. In this season of Advent, we've been celebrating hope and faith, 
and peace and today joy. Those are possible because a Savior is born. A Savior was born in a place and at a specific time. It happened. It was historical. Today, the significance of that day in all the course of human history. And this Savior is Christ the Lord. There's this interesting use of a phrase in Luke's Gospel, Christ the Lord, that, that this uh, concept of the Lord being picked up from the Old Testament. And it's not just saying that the Messiah is born, but Messiah the Lord. And there's this, there's this sense in the midst of Luke's words here that the divinity of Jesus is even being hinted at. And so in Bethlehem we learn that today, a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. Let's move on to Nazareth. This comes to us from Luke chapter 14 in verses 16 through 30. It's a story of when Jesus begins his ministry. In fact, if you go to Luke's uh, uh, chapter 4, uh, you'll find that it begins with the story of Jesus and Satan and being, Jesus being tempted. And then it follows up with this little transition verse and and Jesus is out, he's preaching in the various communities. Well, he comes to Nazareth, his hometown, and he preaches in the synagogue. Now, a synagogue of the time would have had uh, um, benches around the outside edge of, of, of the room, and uh, the floor would have floor cover, covering on it, and there would be a little dais up toward the front and center of the room. And the person who would read would get up and stand on that platform, and uh, they would have the Torah, and they would also have scrolls of the prophets. And in the case of Jesus, the scroll of Isaiah was handed, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And, and Jesus goes to that place that we call Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And in Luke 4, Luke 4, verse um, uh, 18, we discover what the words of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus read, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The text then describes that Jesus rolls up the scroll and hands it back to the attendant. And then he sits down. He sits down because... After you read, you would give your sermon from a seated position. And then he began to say to them, and this is in verse 21, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's the shortest sermon you could imagine. It, it, they would have been done right then and there. That Jesus just summed it all up in saying, today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All God had been doing over the 13 and a half billion years of creation that the universe has been in, 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 uh, in motion and then the time since God had chosen a people to be uh, a light to all the other nations. All that was coming to this time, all those things that God had done, all the things he had said through the prophets, it was coming to this point, leading up to it. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Release, freedom, liberty, 
good news. And it's not abstract. It's it's fulfilled in their hearing. There was something that was taking place in that place. As they heard it, all of the promises were coming uh, to their fulfillment. Jesus is not just a catalyst. He becomes the source. He is the source. He's the cause. He's the supply. You know, in our culture, we um, uh, tend to experience freedom at different uh, phases of life. And so, you know, when, when we go from grade school into middle school, there's a little additional freedom that takes place even just in the way classes are offered. When we go from middle school to high school, again, there's, there seems to be a little bit more freedom allowed among the students. Traditionally, people reach an age somewhere around 18, and, and a good portion of them will uh, take a next step in their freedom moving from their parents' direct care and instruction to being more responsible for their own lives, whether they go off to college or into the military or into some kind of a job. We experience more freedom, in fact, when we get that job. Having that kind of income gives us a level of autonomy. And then, then maybe we reach that point of retirement and, and no longer do we have to go in and, and uh, live by somebody else's schedule and somebody else's agenda. Now we are retired. But what we discover is that freedom in this world is often quite messy. It, it's not total freedom. It, it comes with other responsibilities and, and baggage and And so even though we look forward to this additional freedom, it's not always the freedom that we had hoped for. I was reading recently about uh, after the Civil War in our country and the the Emancipation Proclamation and and so how uh, um, black slaves in our country uh, were declared uh, free, that they were no longer slaves, but it's not that they were then free to thrive, that a good number of... uh, um, black slaves ended up becoming, uh, uh, doing crop sharing. And, 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 um, and so they were still very much caught in an economic uh, situation that did not allow them to thrive. So freedom, yes, in one sense, but not freedom in another. But when Jesus comes and says today that this has been fulfilled, he comes as one not who was part of the problem, or part of the system that held people back or oppressed people. He comes as one who's above it, who has more power than any other uh, um, source of power that people had experienced. And so when Jesus declares freedom, it is the ultimate Ali Ali oxen free. You are free. A freedom that allows us to engage the rest of the mess around us, wholly different today. The scripture has been fulfilled. Freedom, recovery of, of, of sight, liberty, the year of God's favor. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let's journey on to Jericho. This comes to us from Luke chapter 19, the first 10 verses. There we find the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus coming to, Jica- to, to Jericho and 
Zacchaeus, who is described as a tax collector, a wealthy tax collector, who was of diminutive size, and so he couldn't see, so he climbs a sycamore tree, and, and he sees Jesus coming. Well, Jesus sees him, and Jesus stops and points and says, Zacchaeus, um, come on down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat with you. I'm coming to your house. Well, the people grumbled. He's going to meet with a tax collector. And if you've been in Bible studies before, you've probably heard some of this, that, that uh, tax collectors, uh, they would have been grouped in with thieves and murderers. The rest of the society did not have a positive view of tax collectors. Though they were, uh, in the case of Zacchaeus, he was ethnically Jewish, um, but not religiously. That, that uh, in order to be a tax collector, you, uh, Rome would, would designate people that were connected to a community, but um, the things you would have to do to be a good tax collector would put you at odds with all of your fellow people. In fact, there were two main groups of, uh, uh, of teaching that were going on at the time. And those two groups tended not to agree with each other on, on most things. But when it came to how you could treat tax collectors, they were on the same page. They said you could lie to a tax collector with total impunity. Don't worry about it. Go ahead and lie to tax collectors. They even said that if a tax collector touched your house, it was considered unclean. But Jesus connects with Zacchaeus. And because of the connection, Zacchaeus comes out of that and, and he repents of uh, how he treated people and makes a promise to uh, restore things and, and, to, and to make things right with folks. There's a major shift that takes place. And so then Jesus, in uh, Luke 19, he says, uh, this is in Luke 19, verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. It's interesting. Abraham, of course, being the, the father of, uh, of the Jewish people and Paul would later help us to understand that there are sons of Abraham who are sons of Abraham by blood, but then there are sons or daughters as well that not by, by blood, but by faith. And here, because it's not because of the works that Zacchaeus was doing, nor because of his blood, but, but because of the faith that Zacchaeus had put in Jesus. Today, salvation has come to your house. In fact, there's this passage in Galatians 3, 7. It says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Jesus says in verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus, salvation isn't just for you in the future. Salvation isn't just potential if you, if you live up to a certain code. Zacchaeus, today, salvation has come to your house. Well, our last place we'll stop is Golgotha. Golgotha is the, the Aramaic word for skull. This is the place just outside the city walls of Jerusalem where people were crucified, where there would be a lot of skulls. Golgotha. And it's a story of when Jesus was crucified. In fact, in Luke 23, we find the description 
in verse 32, it says, two others who were criminals were led away to, put, to be put to death with Jesus. And down in 39, we pick up the story. One of the criminals who were uh, hanged railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, in other words, look at, we're facing, we're facing God. We're going to die. And we're facing God. This is a, a critical moment. What are you doing? What are you saying? He says, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What we find in this second criminal is that he acknowledges three things. He acknowledges his guilt. He acknowledges, as Edwards points out, he acknowledges Jesus' innocence and he acknowledges Jesus' power. And Jesus says to him, he says to Jesus, remember me. The phrase that Luke uses here remember me, we find it in the Septuagint, the Greek uh, version of the Old Testament. And it's used ten times. And each time that it's used, it's used only toward God. Remember me. Remember me. The criminal turns to Jesus and taking words that had only been used toward God in the, right, in the writing as we understand it, that, that he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom into your kingdom. There's some discussion as to which manuscripts we should pay attention to here because there's two different ways that it's written. Some of the better manuscripts uh, have it as when you come in your kingdom. And so the idea being that the criminal would say, Jesus, when you come and return one day in your kingdom and all of your power, remember me. But even though it's written that way in some of the better manuscripts, what we find is that the harder reading, which means that it's probably the more likely, is in using the word into your kingdom, which would fit what, how Luke writes and what would, was going on with the criminal. And so the criminal is saying, Jesus, as, as you make this move, as you make this move, as you being the king of the Jews, that was the inscription on the cross, as you being the king of the Jews, as you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus responds to him by saying, Truly, I say to you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is a way of talking about this idea of being in God's presence, that today you will be with me, with God. There are some passages that Paul provides that help us just underscore what's going on here physically for this criminal, but, but spiritually also that, that this thing that's taking place in his life right there. In, in Romans 6, 5, we read, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In Galatians 2.20, he helps to make, help us understand. He goes, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For this criminal, he was crucified with Christ physically. 
but also in his heart that, that he died to self, that he might live forevermore with Christ, that he participated in Christ's crucifixion, that Christ died for him, that he would have freedom. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So what do we make of all this? What do we make of all this? Well, the angel said it. I bring you good news of great joy. It's not just a distant, quaint story of a baby being born in a manger. It's not just a reason to put up trees and exchange gifts and enjoy food together. Things happened. They happened in space and time. There was a day, an actual day, it was a today that Jesus was born. The angel said, today, in this city, in the city of David, a Savior is born. It happened. Jesus would say in Nazareth, today the Scripture is fulfilled. And what Jesus said to the people of Nazareth, Jesus can say today, today the Scripture is fulfilled. When we respond to the good news of Jesus Christ, we can be assured that our life is changed today. Jesus said in Jericho, today salvation has come to this house. When we say yes to Jesus Christ today, salvation comes today. Jesus said to the criminal, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And we know that one day, that day will come for us. That one day, our life on this world will come to an end. And on that day, we will be with Christ. Between now and that day, Jesus actually flips it. He says, I will be with you. Between now and that day. Between now and today. So, so today, today, Jesus is with us. It's this already and not yet. We've talked about it before. Is there a past? Is there this history in God that, that he's done these things? Absolutely. Did God work in the past? Absolutely. Will God work in the future? Absolutely. Is salvation to come? You bet it is. But it's also today. And it matters today. And there's theological weight to today. Salvation comes. Scriptures fulfilled today. When was the last time you heard good news? I hope it's today. I, I hope that each one of us can hear the good news of Jesus' love and his truth and his power. And that Christmas is not just a little story, but it changes every single one of our days. I bring you good news of great joy. Jesus Christ is born. Amen.